0: Welcome back to What Donors Want.
1: <laughs> Emily, I'm really sorry, I
0: looked
2: away. Hey guys, I'm Carlos Miranda and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. Mm-hmm. I started IG in 2011, and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, corporates, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique access to both donors and fundraisers and want to help them better understand one another. And so we bring you What Donors Want, a fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising from the donor's perspective. In each episode, we'll interview a donor and get right down to it. What do they actually want from the fundraisers who cultivate them? This advice and more straight from the donor's mouth.
0: Welcome back to What Donors Want. As you probably know by now, I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, and I'm the producer of the podcast. Today's episode is slightly untraditional. Now that we've done 10 episodes, and before we launch into our second season, we've gathered all the IG team members who've been on the show so far to chat about our favorite insights and takeaways. Uh, well, I should say all, our brilliant head of philanthropy, Juliet, is currently on mat leave, so a big shout out to her. To take it back a bit, we started What Donors Want now over a year ago. It would have been June 2017 when we released our first episode with the Hewlett Foundation uh, with Alfonsina. And uh, the idea for the podcast really came out of, of a brainstorming session at a strategy away day where I just said, What about a podcast? And the team said, Great, when's the first episode gonna come out? But it, it really has hit a nerve, you know, both within the team and both from our listener base. And and that was because we were noticing a real lack of fundraising resources where the perspective of the The ultimate stakeholder, the donor themselves, was actually being centered in the advice that was being given. So here we are, a year and a half later. We've done 10 episodes now with some of the world's most influential funders, and now we have over 10,000 listeners in 67 countries, I just counted, uh, from Tanzania to Hong Kong, India, Poland, Australia, Canada, the US, UK. It really blows our mind. We hear from organizations all the time now who, who use the show as a training resource for their team, and we also hear from our donor guests to say how useful these reflective conversations have been for them, which is really cool, too. So first, before we dive in, I want to send a big, big thank you to all of our listeners and guests who have made our first 10 episodes unbelievably interesting and fun. We couldn't have done it without you guys. Now on to today's episode. As I mentioned, today is a chance to reflect on the past 10 episodes and chat through all of the incredible insights that have come out of them. I'm sitting here now with Carlos, Alicia, Emily and Amy. Welcome everyone to our What Donors Want recap. Yay, Thanks for having me. Yeah. It. <laughs> <It's> Rachel. <pretty cool. laughs> okay, so as uh, as you will know, and, and as listeners will know, we always start our episodes off with a speed round. So now it's time to put you on, in the spotlight and uh, take what we dish out there. So I'm going to go around with a question. We've got two questions, and uh, you can say the first thing that comes to your mind. So. Question number one. What was the last show that you binge watched?
1: Carlos and I are currently binge watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two.
3: Season oh, two. Zia will love you. <laughs> I've just finished watching Dark, which is a German series really similar to Stranger Things. It's pretty mysterious and out there. It's so. very
2: sophisticated. Yeah, it's Amy. pretty Leave it to Amy to be like, I'm watching some dark Norwegian subtitle <laughs> sort of thing. I'm better than you.
4: No. Yeah. Um, I've been binge watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which mm, I literally so didn't know existed until everyone got cr- uh, annoyed that it had been cancelled, and then I've just watched the entire thing since that point.
2: <laughs> well, Lisa stole my thunder, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100% we're binge watching Mrs. Maisel season two. I
0: didn't know season two was out.
2: It just came out last week.
0: Oh my god! I- to leave. Right. <laughs> to watch it right now. Okay, question number two. So, as listeners might not know, uh, we have a very important internal quiz at, at, at the IG office, which is the BuzzFeed quiz: "Which Beyonce are you?" Um, it, it, uh, it says a lot about your personality. It's uh, it's a really important part of our induction. So uh, we've all we've all taken it and actually retaken it just to you know track our progress over time. So <laughs> I would like to
1: uh,
0: I would like you all to share which Beyonce
1: are you. Uh, I consistently have gotten Dreamgirls Beyonce but after she's dunked Jamie Foxx and like reclaimed her palette mm, like <laughs> listen end of the movie Dreamgirls yeah yeah mother. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: Amazing. <laughs> I have to admit, I only took this test this morning um, for the first time, I'm really ashamed by that, but I also got Dreamgirls Girl <gasps> Beyonce, so oh my Alicia, God. we are on it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, I got Independent Woman Beyonce. On
2: brand. Yes, so <laughs> on brand.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, I am not ashamed to say that I have taken this exam, <laughs> like, exam? Uh, I'm taking this test now, like, maybe five or six times over the course of the last many months. And I consistently get crazy love, Beyonce, but like hot pants and and red heels, Beyonce. So I don't know what that says about me, but at least I'm consistent. I am 100% consistent.
0: So, we've done 10 episodes, which is kind of amazing, it's really, uh, it's just, it's kind of flown by, and we've had a really wonderful range of donors on the show, so we've had the biggest foundation in the world, and and some really, really big comparable ones, whether it's Gates, Hewlett, Rockefeller, Comic Relief, Novo, we've had a big family foundation, the Siegel Family Foundation, individual philanthropists, and a small family foundation, so that was Nick Jenkins, Paul Lindley, the Smiths at the Kiowa Trust, we've had a company, DLA Piper, And, you know, while of course they all have unique motivations and insights, the episodes have also illuminated many common threads and motifs between all of the different donor experiences, which I think is also very relevant. So, now I'm going to turn it over to you guys and ask, what is the one theme or insight that has really stuck with you over the last year?
1: So I think almost everybody without exception has talked about the need uh, and the desire for fundraisers to be honest with them uh, and for the organizations that they give to to be transparent, to see them as partners, but to really be willing to share the good and the bad. Um, And I can certainly tell you from our experience working with donors that that's 100% true. I think sometimes that can be really scary to share something about yourself or your organization where it's not going well. Um, But some of the most meaningful relationships that we've seen our donors have are with partners who have given them that kind of, I'm having a challenge, you know, can you help me think about how to deal with it or this is how we're dealing with it. But that really honest approach, Mm -hmm. it's really highly valued and I think it's one of the things that they've said but that they really also truly believe.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite quotes from... Uh, from one of the episodes, was uh, Nick Jenkins, who said, who was speaking
3: about how gloss is very boring, and he said, I want to deal with the truth. And not stopping there, building... One of the biggest insights for me was... Um, continuing that relationship beyond just the donation itself or however a donor chooses to support that organisation. So Andy from the Seagull Family Foundation really made a point that momentum doesn't stop at the donation itself. It continues. Um, A relationship is a long-term thing. It um, is never to be taken
4: for granted, to be taken lightly. I think the thing that stood out for me is how many of the people we interviewed didn't think of themselves as being cultivated by fundraisers so much as engaging engaging with a social impact cause, engaging with the leadership, wanting to assess whether the leadership had the drive to take what they were promising forward with them. And I think there's so many learnings for that in terms of how how, um, versed you are on the strategy, the impact and the ambitions of the organisation you work for if you are a fundraiser, but then also um, how you leverage your kind of leadership and your board to kind of give the funder that connection with the the cause and the kind of leadership of the cause rather than just kind Mm -hmm. of fundraising practice that you might bring into play with engaging with donors. Because it was um, DLA that said, you know, we've renamed ourselves to hide ourselves from fundraisers. (laughs) We've We've changed the name of our department so that fundraisers can't find us, but they do absolutely want to engage with causes and understand um, you know what? What working with a, a social cause or a charity can can help them to achieve. So it's not that they don't want to talk to people who want to raise money. It's just that that kind of uh, fundraising practice, rather than engaging with leadership and talking about a shared mm-hmm. vision, um, is it's a very different approach.
0: Yeah, mm. and I think that also came through when we we always ask the question about how how they identify organizations or charities to partner with once they've chosen their their cause area. And a very common mm. answer was we like to find, we don't like to be found. Mm. But of course, as we always say to them, momentum has it needs to have momentum yeah. on both ends. And charities can do things to be make themselves be found. But it's it's a very delicate balance of doing that without seeming like you're too much of a fundraiser, you yeah, know, yeah. quote unquote, and and making it feel genuine and. And like a real partnership from the beginning on both sides.
4: Well, I think off the back of that as well, there's so much. I mean, we we advise clients on this all the time in terms of taking a relationship-based approach, but then also kind of having patience about the time mm-hmm. that it takes to build the kind of relationships that lead to significant partnerships and significant gifts. And there's that kind of you know it, again, it was uh, Nick from DLA that said that the donation is never the beginning. There's always a relationship before. And a common answer to what you've just mm-hmm. raised, Rachel, where people are saying you know we like to be found, and we're saying okay, mm-hmm. but how do you how do you you, you mm-hmm. don't like to be found, but okay, how do you go and find the causes that you like, um, is that they, they find them by virtue of relationship building yeah. and yeah. by kind of having a lot of coffees and meetings and, mm-hmm. and meeting at conferences and things like that. And, and those things really take time investment. Mm-hmm. I,
2: and I think just to kind of build on that for a second, it is everything that Emily said is correct. I think ultimately one of the key kind of themes, a common denominator and something that we've tried push through, hence, you know, the speed round is a little self-indulgent, as Alicia pointed out, (laughs) and it's fun, but actually there is kind of a a method and a Mm -hmm. reason why we do it, and it's ultimately that people give to people, right, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the times, I think you have a lot of fundraisers, especially with institutional donors, where they just kind of Treat the donor like a cash point or a cash machine, right? And it isn't. If people give to people, and you need to take the time, the energy, um, the resources to develop tangible, real relationships between you and the donor. Mm-hmm. So I think something that's really kind of, a, again, a common denominator for a lot of the themes, but also something that we've been trying to push through is that these are, even if it's a foundation, uh, if, even if it's an officer of foundation, it's still a person, and you need to invest time, energy, and sometimes money to develop a proper relationship with them.
4: Mm-hmm. I also
0: think, going off of that quickly, it was so interesting. So two of the donors, the individual philanthropists that we interviewed, Nick Jenkins and Paul Lindley, are both very well-known entrepreneurs. And they both spoke about how important that entrepreneurial spirit was in their charitable relationships and how, even if, you know, with with an organization, but particularly with the fundraiser or with the senior leader, whomever they were engaging with, when that person also had that entrepreneurial drive, the connection was made so much faster and they felt motivated to explore the partnership in a different way. So it's about the spirit of the organization, but also the person representing it.
4: I think also um, something that Zia said about um, being wary of seeming too keen in those initial conversations in case... a charity uh, take something from that and kind of maybe reads the wrong message. I think that that kind of speaks to the remembering that people give to people, but that donors also have their own kind of uh, agenda and their own kind of you know anxieties and the things that they have to manage as well. And I think that uh, helping a donor to feel safe in those conversations to kind of express ideas and to kind of have a partnership conversation without. Over committing or whatever, uh, but also uh, helping them feel like you know you are helping them solve their problem. Mm. That they, you know their yeah. problem is that they either have money that they have committed to spend charitably or that you know they, they want to create an impact in the world and feel like they're leaving um, a legacy or making a difference, and you can help them to get there. So mm. treating them like that, um, you know, it's a safe space to have those exploratory conversations.
3: Yeah,
2: I'm always amazed at how quickly somebody can forget that donors have to your point, they have an agenda. Mm. Yeah. Um, n- you know, 99.9% of giving vehicles, whether it's a DAF, a foundation, whatever it may be, um, they have an agenda. They have a, mm. they, they want to move the needle on any, on a particular issue or a range of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And I think Alfonsina, who was our very first... Mm-hmm. Uh, who was her guinea pig, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, talks about that. And if it's not a fit, it's not the end of the world. It's fine. And, like, and I think that... It, Sometimes we, know I speak, I used to be a fundraiser, um, you know, I think we need reminding of that a little mm-hmm. bit because sometimes we see an opportunity and we want to make it work. And so we'll try to bend over backwards, but that's not always necessarily the right approach and the right strategy. And so I think remembering always um, that donors have their own agenda and if you can't align yourself with it, that's okay. Go somewhere else yeah. or...
1: It has to be a fit on both sides, and I think one thing um, we often see in our work are uh, fundraisers or people that work for organizations coming to ask, well, you know, should I tell them about this piece of work that I do, or we have this, you know, uh, kind of political advocacy side of things, should I not tell donors about that? And my answer is always, you don't need to lead with every message, but you have to be true to your mission and true to yourself. A good relationship with a donor is a fit. It has to be a fit on both sides. Fundraisers want to work with people they like just as much as donors want to work with people they like and so finding that right fit can be challenging and that's more of the art and less of the science part of fundraising Mm -hmm. but I think it's something that everyone that we spoke to through the podcast really craves having that right fit when it works it can really work well and when it's not the right fit sometimes it's just best for everybody Mm -hmm. to find other partners and move on
0: yeah Something I think that's interesting is when we speak to, like, a program officer, for example, Alfonsina from the Hewlett Foundation, about thinking through their stakeholders. So they have these different motivations, and it is, you know, you're helping the donor solve their problem. But if you're speaking to a program officer, you're also helping them look good in front of their internal stakeholders. And a fundraiser can make their job a whole lot easier by providing information in clear, concise language, by being engaging, by helping understand their internal decision making process, and helping them advocate on behalf of, of their own cause. So I think it's. It's also very cool to see sort of the mechanics and the the behind the scenes view into how these big grant making institutions
4: operate. Something that I've noticed from or pretty much every interview, and it might be because it's in the policies of the foundation, or it might just be because the individual we've been speaking to has kind of put it in place, is that everybody has. Um, a set of things that they're looking for, and there's some there's some commonalities, but um, so kind of obviously the entrepreneurs tend to have more of a kind of you know uh, focus on the leadership and the kind of drive and the ambition. I remember uh, Lynn and saying that they have this kind of passion, energy, focus, competence, like these this list of things that means success to them, and I think. I mean, that's useful to understand because we're just asking a simple question and they are able to give a pretty clear answer straight away and that is something that you can do with every donor and should do straight off, which is just say, like, what are you looking for? Like, what are the things Mm -hmm. that are important to you? Not trying to, like, look for subtext or find, like, a hidden, you know, point C3B in the policies of the foundation, but just literally asking the person that you're speaking to, like, what works for you? Um, But I think the other side of that is just how overwhelming it sounds like it can be for donors to be having to say no all the time and having to like cut through the noise and kind of find excellent ideas and find the excellent route forward towards achieving what they want to achieve in this kind of huge varied sector that has kind of different practices and different standards within it and how clear it is that people do come up with these structures to kind of help them with their uh, philanthropy and obviously we work with a lot of people that want to put those in place in a more structured way but how easy it can be to kind of work with the human behind that and understand what's driving them Uh, because that that structure does always exist It's as Carl says it's not, They, they do always have an agenda, there's always something that they're wanting to achieve, that um, they can usually quite clearly and very easily tell you, this is
1: what I'm looking for and this is what works for me and what I like. One thing I think Nick Patrick talked about um, and that we see across the board with companies, uh, is this move towards shared value partnerships and have wanting fundraisers to come in and really understand how what they're proposing can be of mutual benefit to both the business and the organization. Um, I can't tell you how many, when I sat on the corporate side, how many meetings I had with fundraisers where people really didn't understand uh, what the bank I was working for did at all, besides the fact that we were a bank, what our, where our footprint was, really basic information that was easily accessible on our website or even Wikipedia if you didn't want to go that far. Um, just having a kind of simple understanding to start with of what the business does, not what the business's CSR priorities are, but what the business actually does and cares about uh, when you're going in with corporates is a great p- place to start. It builds off what Emily and Carlos both said around um, kind of making sure it's the right fit and understanding that your donor has an agenda, but with corporates, it's, it's not that difficult to just take that little bit of prep time and find out what it is the company does, how they make their money, where they make their money, um, and it's usually a pretty good place to start.
0: All right. Well, I think uh, we're coming to time. Is there any any last insights, thoughts, comments, questions, concerns?
2: Wow. <laughs> You've learned well. Uh, no, I think, I think that that's right. I think what Alicia said is, is really true, um, and I think it's, it's a good message to a lot of our listeners, which are, you know... Philanthropy and fundraising professionals within small, medium, and large charities and nonprofits mm-hmm. uh, in sixty-seven countries. I learned this morning. Amazing.
4: Sixty-seven countries. Hello uh, to our Rwanda listener.
2: Yes. Exactly, our one yes. Rwanda listener. Um, but no, but but I think I think that that's right. I think always. You know the, the common denominator among all of it, and the reason for the podcast is yes, to give insight but also to just remember that donors are people too mm-hmm. and you need to cultivate them. And I sound like a broken record but I do think that that is kind of the key, um, a key component of fundraising, right? We always, um, Alicia talked about the art of fundraising and I always say to our clients um, that fundraising is much more of an alchemy than any of us would like. There is definitely mm-hmm. a science in terms of like how many times you should follow up and how long after, etc. There is definitely A science and a data led component to fundraising, even major gift fundraising. But there's also an art, and that art is. Part of it is a big component of that. Part is taking the time to really connect with somebody and develop and take them on a journey. Um, um, in terms of kind of what your organization does, so I think uh, acknowledging the fact that fundraising is a little bit of an alchemy, mm-hmm. uh, you'll be. I think I think you'll you'll be a better fundraiser once you can come to terms with that.
3: Going on that as well, no donor is the same. Every single donor has uh, different motivations, um, different goals, a mission, um, different ideas of what charity and what kind of um, making impact means to them so there's no one approach, I mean you've really got to do your research into who you're approaching and understand how you can find value for both sides of the table um, in building that relationship Mm -hmm.
4: I think from a partnerships perspective I mean we've said you know it's a partnership you need to talk to them, you need to ask them blah 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 but I think also thinking from a fundraising perspective and from an organisational perspective what else can be part of that partnership other than money. Uh, and obviously, that rings very true with a lot of the kind of corporate relationships. But on the foundation side as well, Alfonsina said, you know, funders talk to each other. We have a bird's eye mm-hmm. view of what the sector you're working in looks like. So you might be coming to us and saying, you know, this thing that you're doing, this thing we're doing is excellent, and this is how you can achieve impact. But we might know that there are three other people doing the same thing and that you could all learn from each other or that we would like to fund you to do a specific part of it and them to do another part of it. And I think that there's a lot of knowledge sharing that can take place in really healthy philanthropic partnerships that doesn't currently happen and that's what funders want as well as what uh, non-profits could benefit from. So I think just thinking about the other parameters of partnership um, with philanthropy donors as well as with corporate partners is a really kind of valuable takeaway Mm -hmm. from this and that's obviously especially true for donors who have a large portfolio and but do have that kind of bird's eye view but they do work with each other as well across cause areas so it doesn't just have to be a big foundation for them to have that perspective and to to be able to add value beyond just a cash donation.
0: Something, Emily, that I love that you said before is how, you know, of course there's so many variables and considerations when engaging with donors and their motivations, but it's also, it's maybe it's simpler than a lot of people think, it's about directly asking them, as you said, what do you want from this partnership, what are your expectations, what are your ambitions? And I think that was, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we created this podcast, because we're a consultancy, we're not fundraisers, so there's a, a power dynamic shift that allows us to ask these questions in a direct, irreverent way, as we say. Uh, but I think it's it, the answers that have come out of this have been so so interesting, um, so unique. The donors on the show have said how important these, these conversations and these reflective conversations have been for them, and how it's sort of opened their mind to thinking about their philanthropy and... Um, in a more expansive way so I think I mean we're going to continue to ask the what donors want question in season two we've got I've got a bunch of interviews lined up definitely through the summer so uh, there's a really exciting pipeline ahead and we're going to get more niche and more interesting so stay tuned but we also encourage as we do to our clients these are questions that fundraisers can ask themselves and and uh, it's important to start partnerships off that way on that honest note
1: Mm. I want to say how much I've enjoyed the experience of doing the podcast, not being a podcast person myself. I really enjoyed <laughs> both doing them and listening to them. Um, and I, I enjoy how uh, relevant they are and how in the moment, because I think our field is changing. Uh, okay. I think the world is changing pretty dramatically, and our field is changing Fundraisers will need to change and donors will need to change to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look forward to the challenges that 2019 will bring um, and to continuing to have conversations that are real and authentic and in line with what's happening at the very moment because I think things are moving quickly and we all need to make sure we keep up.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's all we've got for today. <laughs> okay. yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks Happy 2019. Happy 2019, guys. <laughs> Okay. So that's all we've got for today's episode. Stay tuned for our second season in 2019. As I said, we've already got some amazing interviews in the pipeline. And of course, we always encourage our listeners to continue to get in touch with feedback and comments. You know where to find us Twitter at IG underscore advisors, our website, impactandgrowth.com or coffee anywhere you so choose in London. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. To paint the picture, in April...
1: Thanks for having me
4: back on, Rachel. I've been waiting anxiously in the correct sentence ending. Thanks for having me back on, Rachel. I've been waiting... What is it? <laughs> what have I been doing?
0: Anxiously in the wings since the Comic Relief episode. Anxiously. For your chance mm. in the limelight. Yeah, it's good. That's no good joke the first time. <laughs>
2: Alicia, just for the record, didn't want to watch it, so I watched season one.
1: Anyone gonna want to listen to (laughs) this? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's us. Alicia
2: didn't want to watch it, and then I watched it by myself, and then season two.